In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Tamar Hallerman, our Washington correspondent, who's been in Georgia with us to cover all this fun. Tamar came down last week to help out with the election coverage, and last night got to hang out with Brian Kemp. Greg, you're still so amped and excited after a really long night. What's drink, going on? Yeah, I didn't even drink coffee today, so I don't know what's going on, but I got about three or four hours of sleep. Tomorrow I will be feeling it, I promise We're you. We're just saying that's the difference between you and me. I had my four-shot Americano this morning, and I'm dragging, and Bluestein with no caffeine is still running around Well, luckily, doing the, it. the kids woke me up really early. Uh, I slept in the basement last night, so I didn't want to bother my wife when I got home late, but they still woke me up. and Daddy, daddy, all that screaming. The glamorous life of an AJC political reporter. Yeah, yeah. One, one of these days they'll I'll, I'll regret the times where they don't bother me because they'll, they'll want to ignore me but right now they still kind of like me um well last night you hung out with brian kemp in athens and you just drove back all the way back from athens this morning and i was with stacy abrams in the sheraton in downtown atlanta and i guess they were very different experiences tell me about yours first I mean, our experience, we were still kind of waiting for a long time to, to get the results, right? The Democratic race was called super, super early. So mm-hmm. we knew pretty pretty soon after we arrived that, that the Republicans would be facing Stacey Abrams. Um, but for a long time, it really wasn't quite clear. Kemp's folks were, pe- were feeling pretty good as polls closed, uh, looking very closely mm-hmm. at Hunter Hill and his numbers. He was seen as the big competition for this Republican runoff against Casey Cagle, the front runner. Um, but but by about 9, 9.30, everybody was feeling really good on the campaign. He started making the rounds um, upbeat, for yeah. sure. I think overall, there just weren't that many surprises at the top of the ticket. The margins were the surprise, right? Yeah, I mean, Stacey Abrams, 75% point yeah. victory. I mean, going into this race, we figured it'd be Cagle versus Kemp. We'd figure that Abrams would beat Evans. But man, I thought it would be 60s, you know, maybe 65. But 76 plus percent? I mean, there was a 53-point win for Stacey Abrams. Um, I just got off the phone with her. She said she's not surprised that her, her modeling sort of indicated that big of a win. But I think a lot of people around Georgia politics uh, were surprised at the huge margin, which in effect gives her a mandate uh, to to pursue her strategy, which which is which is very unconventional in, in terms of Georgia. It's straying away from the more centrist, democratic approach to to, to main issues and going more towards uh, left leaning progressive issues. So you really don't see her kind of starting to turn more toward the middle, leading into the general. I think she'll she'll have to take some more centrist approaches, 
Um, but I don't think she'll do it very overtly. And I, and again, I just got off the phone with her when I asked her that, that same question. And she goes, look, I've been, I'm a progressive. I've been a progressive for 44 years. Uh, even when I made a pragmatic stances in the Georgia legislature as the state house's top Democrat, I did those to try to preserve progressive policies. Uh, and I'm not going to stray from that. Now, you know, in October, we'll see <laughs> if that calculus begins to change and, and the polling shows things will start to tighten up like it always does. Um, but right now, she's she, her victory speech last night was almost the same as her campaign stump speeches. It was focused on on expanding Medicaid. She talked about repealing campus carry. She talked about more tax help for for struggling Georgians, and uh, she talked about being the education governor. But she emphasized the word public education governor uh, and helping public schools. Wow. And, and how about Stacey Evans? Uh, that race was called very early, and, and I want to say within an hour or so after polls closed, you know, she was calling Stacey Abrams to, to concede. What, what else did you hear from her when you talked to her? Yeah, it was a really um, interesting night because usually the networks or the Associated Press will call it, in this case, the Abrams campaign called it really, really early. On Twitter, right? On Twitter, said, like, we, we won. And that kind of got us scrambling because we, we thought, you know, usually these things take a little longer because you wait for um, DeKalb County to come Fulton in. Fulton County. County to come in. They're both sort of notoriously slow. Uh, in this case, those races, if I recall, I mean, I, I don't, I think a few precincts at most were in from both those counties. Um, and I immediately started hearing from the Evans campaign. At first, they were saying, you know, we're holding off. We're holding off. We want to let our supporters know first. And then I said, the cat's kind of out of the bag, guys. So um, that in that case, I got the official word that she had conceded the race. Um, but for Evans, this is nothing. This can't be anything short of a, a disappointment. I mean, you know, she always had an uphill battle. The demographics were against her. The national mood was against her. The national money, the national, the national endorsement. Money. Yeah, I mean, you had Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders both endorse Abrams in the final, you know, couple of days of the race, showing you just how the party is lining up from her. Both sort of wings of the party were lining up for, for Stacey Abrams. But still, she thought that her lower key... Uh, more traditional strategy of trying to appeal to conser- to moderates and independents who live in the metro Atlanta suburbs, who Democrats have tried and failed to get for the last decade or so, but they thought Trump and, and a hope the message would, would change that. It didn't work. And really, you know, th- this is easy to do via Wednesday morning quarterback, but um, th- her focus on hope, her relentless focus on her hope, always seemed to, it didn't really seem to resonate with voters I talked to on the ground over the last few months, but especially yesterday when I asked voters about it, like, well, she seemed like a single issue candidate. She wasn't. She had a, a whole range of issues, but she pivoted relentlessly back to the Hope Scholarship over and over again, including at that debate uh, you saw on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I noticed on Twitter, she was very quick to call for unity behind Stacey Abrams. But I'm wondering, after such a long and brutal campaign, whether you're expecting Stacey Evans to go out and campaign for Stacey Abrams. You know, I, I bet she will. Um, I, I, bet, I bet if she's asked, she will. And that, that's a big other question of whether or not, you know, Stacey Abrams will want her to. But I, but I, I, bet, I bet she will. And she's already pledged to to fight, in, in her words, Donald Trump and his administration and help the Democrats unite um, under one banner. Um, 
you know, it was a it was a brutal and divisive primary that that that, that and Stacey Evans, I think, was under the radar in terms of some national coverage a lot because so much of the national coverage was focused on Abrams and her history making quest to become the nation's first elected black female governor. But, but Evans felt a little bit um, upset at some of the coverage, I think, because it sort of downplayed her role. Um, and, you know, when you only get about a quarter of the votes, it's, it's, it's a really tough day. And it, and it also means in Abrams words, like the party is already, I just talked to her and she said, the party already is uni- unified. You know, we, they already overwhelmingly gave her, gave her the mandate. She won three, three to one. I mean, so, so she won't have too much of work to do I've, to, 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 quote unquote, unify um, Democrats. Uh, I already talked to folks on the Evans camp who are already saying, yeah, you know, we got, tra- we got thrashed and we're, we're lining up behind her. I talked to some supporters of Evans who said, yeah, Stacey is, one of them said, it feels like I've been beat up this morning, but I'm still going to back Abrams. And on the Republican side, it seems like a lot of them are, are, you know, they're feeling good about Stacey Abrams because she's gone so far to the party's base. I think a lot of the Republicans, including Brian Kemp yesterday when I talked to him, were, were overjoyed. They think she'll be an easy candidate or, you know, an easy opponent to take down. Um, he was framing her as too extreme was the quote for for Georgia. So he mentioned he was looking forward to that matchup. He mentioned fighting that he had, um, you know, as Secretary of State with her new Georgia project. And and we can expect to see stuff like that in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, Brian Kemp has been feuding with Abrams for years now. And they've, they have this long running rivalry that kind of has helped both of them uh, as they've have, as their political careers have soared. Um, and, you know, it is. I mean, this is going to be a brutal Republican primary that we'll talk a little bit more about next week as well in our next podcast. But you already have, you know, Kemp going after Cagle. Cagle going after Kemp is hot air. You've got Hunter Hill kind of staying on the sidelines for now. He's the third place finisher. You've got a lot of hurt feelings and a nine week grueling runoff where, you know, Democrats can take advantage of it um, and and unify the party and focus on. Um, and focus on November. Mm-hmm. And you saw at the Kemp party how quickly, um, you know, he's, he turned his focus on, on Casey Cagle immediately in his, um, I guess you can call it a victory speech or a speech to supporters at the end of the night. Um, he was mentioning how voters don't want a career politician. They don't want somebody, in his words, bought and sold by by lobbyists and special interests. Um, you know, just a preview of what's to come for sure. Yeah, this goes right to the point. I mean, the, the Cagle was the state house money's favorite, right? He got, he got $7 million plus in campaign contributions. Most of them from like a lot of them from lobbyists and from, and from special interests and from contractors and people who do business with state government. And that's by the way, typical. I mean, governor deal also got a ton of money. Roy Barnes got a ton of money from the same sorts of groups, but it makes it easy to paint him as some, you know, insider. Um, and, and, and Brian Kemp as the outsider, even though Brian Kemp, has been in statewide been office, state, for, state for office for years. For the last two terms. He did mention wanting to compare and contrast his time in state government versus what Casey Cagle's been able to do. He mentioned, well, I've been running this office full time with a staff of 250 people doing all these initiatives. Meanwhile, Casey Cagle is only there part time with the legislature. He's already starting to kind of frame Casey Cagle as this do nothing kind of figure. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what's to come. He also did promise more of what we've seen from him over the last few weeks with these two kind of provocative ads with him and his pickup truck mm-hmm. vowing to round up illegal immigrants himself and his ad 
bad Jake with a you know, polishing his shotgun with the suitor of his daughter. Um, he played those ads pretty constantly over, uh, you know, throughout his watch party. And then the crowd was cheering. The crowd was amped. He mentioned his momentum coming off the last few weeks. And I think we can expect a lot more of that in the next nine weeks. Yeah, that, I mean, and, and, and the Republic, his his supporters sort of want more of their red meat. And he, he hinted the same thing to me that, that there's more to come. The chainsaw might not have had its last appearance, the explosions, the guns, the pickup truck, all this stuff. And it's all stuff that Casey Cagle is, is going to struggle to answer because his ads have been much more, uh, you know, generic. I mean, there have been sunny ads about the economy, sun, yeah, about the economy workforce development, yes. things like that that are harder to... They're not exactly provocative. It might help you with your, you know, getting people in the middle when we get closer to the general. But when it comes to winning over a Republican primary crowd, those issues are not as inspiring as guns and explosions yeah. and immigration. And remember, you know, the runoff crowd is going to be a lot more tepid. It's going to be no matter uh, odds are it'll be a lot, about half or you know three quarters of the turnout we saw in Tuesday's primary because it's even a more hardcore conservative base. And so both of them will have to run further right. But this wasn't the only um, election on the ballot. There are some good um, down ticket races, including some of the congressional races. Speaking of the congressional races, you mentioned, uh, or we were talking about Brian Kemp's ad with the explosions and the illegal immigration, um, you know, topics. I just saw today an ad, one of Doug Collins's, uh, his Democratic opponent in the 9th Congressional District. He's a teacher, I believe, and he came out with a spoof ad talking about how, oh yes, I'm conservative in that I want to conserve the environment, and I believe in the Second Amendment, but also I believe in safety, and basically frame for frame kind of playing off that Kemp ad. Yeah, leveraged it, and he leveraged it too. He had a, he had an opponent, and he won a narrow... Uh, a, a victory over his opponent to, to, in, in the uh, what could be fruitless quest. <laughs> this is challenge. one of the most, I believe this is the most conservative district east of the Mississippi. I don't think Doug Collins is anything to worry about, but it still is pretty interesting just how much of an impact that ad that, that Brian Kemp had has kind of made on... It's inspired political. even Democrats. For sure. And But before we turn to the other races, I do want to ask you about what we've been seeing from Casey Cagle over the last 12 hours. Um, what have we seen? Yeah, I mean, he, he, is, he is largely laid off attacking his opponent by name. Um, whereas uh, Kemp did not Kemp hesitate. Did not that whatsoever. <laughs> uh, and instead has been talking more about, in general, the hot air, the gimmicks, the, you know, the, the, the tricks that his, that his opponents have been doing. He's, he's trying to cast himself really as the, as the serious, quote-unquote, contender in this race, the one who, who wants to you know, fight for Georgia's economy and fight for conservative values but will not uh, risk his reputation uh, to do so. Um, and so that will be a really uh, that that that'll be an interesting path for him to to sort of try to navigate because look, Kemp's people were very excited about drawing a parallel to 2010, where Nathan Deal came in second place in the primary and ended up beating Karen Handel in the runoff. Uh, they see some they see some similarities between another uh, another second place finisher with with decent statewide name recognition beating. A, uh, a more popular candidate in the runoff. How closely do you think Cagle's going to tie himself to Nathan Deal and his legacy? Uh, I think pretty close. Um, he, I asked him that question um, on Monday before his statewide fly around, and he said, well, and then paraphrasing, he said, well, part of Governor Deal's track record is my track rec- record. So um, he is going to trade off of Governor Deal's name. And, and remember, Donald, not Donald Trump, not David Perdue, not Barack Obama, not Hillary Clinton. The most popular politician in Georgia politics today is Nathan Deal, according to a recent AJC poll, 
which showed 85% of Republicans give him a favorable rating and more than half of Democrats, which is pretty, pretty shocking for a second-term Republican who had issues with both his own party and Democrats over the last eight years. And I wonder if that will hurt him at all going into a Republican primary runoff. As we mentioned, you're trying to win over the base, the most faithful people. Um, and, and we saw at the debate on Sunday, this WSB-AJC debate, where he was kind of, dare I say, not moderate, but, but he was saying, we can't keep going, you know, we can't get rid of the income tax yeah. in Georgia. We have to have some moderation on what we're going to do because we want to keep our business rating, our, our AAA bond rating. Mm-hmm. Um, could that hurt him by by tying himself so much to Nathan Deal? That's where the governor could actually play an interesting role because the governor's always been sort of a force saying, let's not risk the AAA bond rating. Let's let, he, he actually at first was not okay. He was, it was opposed to the income tax cut um, the modest income tax cut that lawmakers passed earlier this year. So he's always worried about big, huge, sweeping moves, whether they be tax cuts or legislation like the religious liberty legislation or big, huge gun expansions. And so that's where the governor may be able to provide cover for, for Casey Cagle if he chooses to do so. The only word we have out of the governor so far is basically, don't mess with my legacy. He, uh, through his, his top aide, Chris Riley, sent out a, uh, a quote to me last night saying, essentially, if anyone messes with my agenda, uh, they will be asked to defend and protect, uh, the governor will defend and protect his, his legacy at every corner. Huh. And, and you're seeing Kemp's folks already, they see this as an opening, right? If Casey Cagle is only willing to go so far on economic issues, they see that as a um, vacuum that they're willing to exploit. They're trying to win over all these Hunter Hill supporters, Clay Tippin supporters, even Michael Williams supporters, and, and they're hoping that they can capture all of them. Exactly. And a, and a postscript on, on Michael Williams, um, who polls showed routinely was about 3 to 5% of the support. Well, they were right. He got, he got about 5% of the support. His deportation bus tour got a lot of national attention. Um, we didn't give it that quite that much attention because he, uh, you know, he was always flailing in the polls and he put no money behind the, that messaging. And, um, and the cues from his Republican rivals were unmistakable because they basically ignored him. And when your opponents are ignoring you, at the, and there's been a lot of forums and debates and venues for them to, to hit at Michael. Uh, and when your opponents are ignoring you, this late in the race, odds are there, there's a reason. And that's why the focus was largely on Hunter Hill and Brian Kemp and, and, and Casey Cagle th- these last few weeks and not on other candidates because, look, you know, the, the, the polls uh, sometimes are right. And this time they were, even though Michael Williams' campaign said throughout, don't believe the polls. Our supporters are so, are so strongly supportive of, of him that they don't show up in the polls. Well, he ended up finishing not just in fifth place, but fifth place in his home county. I mean, that, that says a lot. Now, we, we talked about how Hunter Hill, you know, there seems to be some hurt feelings. He has not endorsed anybody yet. What have we heard out of Timp- Tippins and Williams so far? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if anyone will, will be at actively trying to get Williams' endorsement. I just can't imagine. I mean, if, he, if he's going to endorse anyone, it's probably Brian Kemp. But this is not going to be a big, huge um, watershed development. Tippins uh, pretty much attacked um, Cagle relentlessly throughout the campaign. And, and just did not like being on the stage with him at all. Like just had a visceral dislike for Casey Cagle. I can't imagine him endorsing Casey Cagle um, at all. I think I, b- I bet if he endorses someone, it'll be Brian Kemp. And uh, I'd say Hunter Hill, same thing. I mean, he attacked 
um, Kegel throughout, and then Kegel started attacking him at the end of the race too, trying to shape who he would face in the runoff. So same thing. I mean, it won't be a surprise to anyone if Hunter Hill either stays out of the race or backs Brian Kemp. All right. And how about some of these down ballot races? Yeah. I mean, look, let's start with the congressional races because those are those are those are kind of weird. Um, <laughs> Not on the Republican side. We knew. Yeah. Um, let, let's focus on the two in Metro Atlanta that that at least nationally are being viewed as something even close to competitive. But who who knows? Karen Handel in the sixth, no opponent. She makes it through in the seventh. Rob Woodall, the Republican incumbent, you know, faced a, a very underfunded uh, Marine destroyed him, I believe, with 75 yeah. percent of the vote. Easy peasy. Um, the Democratic side of the race on, on both uh, both districts were really interesting. We had no idea who was going to make no it into a runoff. No polling, very little polling anyway. Um, all of, Most all of them were brand new faces to politics, very low name ID. Um, and as expected, both of those races are going to go into runoffs. Um, what was interesting is how kind of bunched up a lot of the candidates were. There, there's clearly a lot of room for the folks who made it in to kind of make names for themselves. Uh, selves. In the sixth, we have Lucy McBath, who is a uh, national gun control advocate. She came into the spotlight in 2012 after her son, Jordan Davis, was shot and killed in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um dispute over his music that was playing in his car. She's become a national spokeswoman for every town for gun safety. And her entry into the race was last minute and it was a total surprise. She got on the week of qualifying um, and she was running for the, a state house seat in, in Cobb County. That was probably a, a democratic uh, pickup or maybe, I don't know. Uh, Sam Teasley, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he knew he was in for a very tough battle against, against Lucy McBath, who had already raised six figures in that, in that uh, race against uh, Sam Teasley. Um, but then two other, two, well, three other Democrats got in the race um, with lesser profiles, but also very, uh, you know, sharp messages of their own. Yeah, and, and McBath had some problems fundraising. She came in super late when, when already a lot of players had kind of made their allegiances known. At the same time, the political arm of every town for gun safety put a ton of money into a primary race, which is kind of unusual. They spent more than $800,000, and a lot of them just ads telling Macbeth's story. Um, she's made clear that that is her issue, and she's going to continue to kind of run on, on gun safety issues. I got a message from a certain candidate who once ran for that seat, who even he was alarmed by, uh, just not alarmed, but but stunned by how much money uh, every town has put into that race. In a primary. In a primary, yeah, you knew was going to run off. Um, you know, the, the other interesting thing to me was that Bobby Capel, he's a former uh, CBS newscaster who kind of ran as the consensus candidate. He was a young guy um, who, who ran on a message of, of, of being a very vocal advocate for, for Medicaid expansion. Uh, he didn't make the cut. Yeah, and and initially he was pulling in a lot of support from the you know the Democratic poobahs in in Georgia before McBath came in. But after that, I think a lot of people kind of pumped the brakes and said, "Wait, you know, let's wait wait this out." He didn't make it in, uh, but this South African businessman who's been in the district for almost thirty years, mm-hmm. Kevin Abel, did make it in. He's leveraged a lot of support from the Jewish community up in the sixth district, and I think Capel's people, um, you know. They were surprised by that. They were, and 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 Abel, um, he also made very made prominent his his immigration background. He was a, he's a South African immigrant who who really leveraged that to say to fight Trump's anti-immigration policies, saying that you know that he came to Metro Atlanta. He has a business in, in Johns Creek and lives up in the northern part of the of the sixth district. That he was able to thrive 
uh, because of because of open and flexible immigration policies that let people like him come from South Africa and other countries and really stake a claim in in the heart of the sixth district. You know what's so amazing about this Democratic race in the sixth district right now is just how much the candidates didn't hesitate to take very liberal positions on issues. This time last year, John Ossoff was getting criticized for for hewing too much mm. to the center, for not attacking Donald Trump enough, um, for focusing on issues like waste, fraud, and abuse. Definitely not in this race. Kevin Abel has not been shy to criticize the president for his stance on DACA. On every issue under the sun, you have, you have McBath talking about guns and, and health care. This is going to be such a different race from what we saw last year. I wonder if we're going to see some of that in a Sunday weekend story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. I mean, look, I uh, uh, Ossoff got in the race as someone who pledged to fight Donald Trump at every turn and then quickly, now when they mean that quickly, but after a few months, abandoned that message and went to more of a, you know, a more centrist-ish, uh, mainstream-ish Democratic message trying to appeal to a broad base. Um, and you know what? That's that's what's interesting about the rest of the Democratic ticket because um, we can talk about more of the statewide down-ticket candidates because on the Republican side, you know, the governor's race isn't the only grueling runoff. We have a heated competition between Jeff Duncan and David Schaefer in the lieutenant governor's race that is going to be nasty. Uh, Duncan's folks sent me a press uh, a statement like really late last night. I think it was 1 a.m. in the morning. And of course, I was still up um, driving home from the Abrams thing saying that he's not going to drop out of the race and that uh, he is going to pull out every stop he can uh, to attack David Schaefer, because he said if David Schaefer wins, that means the Democrats win. And on the Secretary of State's race, it's the other kind of big surprising race. Josh McCoon, who may as well have have had the biggest name because he fought for religious liberty in the state Senate. He was sort of a champion of ethics reforms. Um, He ended up uh, falling out of the runoff uh, position. Brad Raffensperger, who has largely self-funded his campaign, he's a a backbench um, House Republican, uh, emerged as the number one in the Secretary of State's race. And he is facing former Alpharetta Mayor David Belisle in in the contest for that. So that's going to be a really unpredictable and bruising race as well. And on the Democratic side, it was so surprising. The biggest name in that race, former Congressman John Barrow, nearly had to contend with a runoff. The biggest name by far. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he almost had to do that. He's raised more than 600. I think it's now about $700,000, which is a huge amount for this down ticket race. He barely escaped what would have been a really tough runoff for him um, against a former state lawmaker named D. Dawkins Hagler. He got about 51% of the vote. And so his people were breathing a sigh of relief. But the contrast is while Republicans, not just governor, but lieutenant governor and secretary of state, have really tough nine-week July runoffs, the top of the Democratic ticket is totally intact because not only did Barrow avoid um, a runoff, but so did Sarah Riggs Amico, who also barely, you know, by the skin of her teeth, beat a very lightly funded opponent um, named uh, Triana Arnold James, who was an activist, um, very uh, sort of... Not a mainstream candidate. No one that 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 the the party folks were all lined up behind Sarah Riggs Amico, who is a first-time candidate, um, who runs a logistics company, Harvard trained, ra- raised a ton of money. So sort of who they want at the top of the ticket, uh, and so they they have this very interesting trio of of candidates. You've got Stacey Abrams, African American woman with a progressive ag- agenda, um, and uh, you know Yale educated. A long history in the state legislature. You have Sarah Riggs Amico, no public experience, but also a pretty progressive agenda, a very long business background. And then you've got John Barrow, 
a very centrist, some would even say conservative Democrat. Gun rights Democrat. Yeah, supports gun rights, um, voted against Nancy Pelosi, voted against the Obama administration time and time again, held one of the swingiest districts in, in the U.S. That moved a few times and, and moved everything. moved several times just to keep it. So it's a very interesting top of the ticket for Democrats. And again, we don't even know what the top of the ticket for Republicans is going to be. We know that likely they're going to be favored in November because because of Georgia's uh, electoral history, but that's not a given anymore. Have we seen anything based on the returns about how Stacey Abrams' new Georgia pushed that this idea of getting minority voters registered who might have been low propensity voters, has that shaped, you know, do we have a sense of that yet? We don't have those numbers quite yet, um, but what we do know is that Democratic turnout, it still hasn't outpaced Republicans. Um, but it was quite a bit higher than it was in 14 higher. and how about 16? Yeah, in 14, know. well, I don't like to compare it to yeah. 16 because it's presidential. But in 14, uh, Republicans outpaced Democrats by about 300,000 votes. In, in, in this year, it's about 50,000. And so I think Republican, Democrats made up about 48% of the primary electorate, which is, which is a big number for them. And it's got a lot of Democrats uh, really excited. And uh, I talked to Jason Carter who was the Democrats' 2014 nominee. I talked to him this morning, and I said, what do you make of all this? And I'm paraphrasing here, because I don't have this quote in front of me, but he essentially said, this shows you why competitive elections for Democrats are such a good thing. And remember, he ran in 2014 with no opposition. And so he said, this shows you how much energy you can get from competitive elections, and that maybe this is a sign to the party that, that the party shouldn't be picking its leaders, that voters should be, because in 14... And in 16, the party, for the most part, sort of, you know, branded its early favorite. And this year, though, eh, for, for some of the races, at least, they've kind of stayed out uh, of, of at least overtly trying to shape the race and, and let voters decide. And, hey, voters, voters made a pretty uh, big judgment uh, last night. It'll be interesting to see how much it shifts going into the general, right? Because these are the most motivated voters. These are the party faithful. These are older voters who tend to come out the most. Um, it's it's going to take a lot more to excite these just middle-of-the-road voters who maybe aren't paying attention to politics, who are busy. Um, this is a midterm year. There's not a, a president on the top of the on the top of the ticket. So it's going to be a very different challenge going into the fall. It, it is going to be a very different challenge. Um, and uh, it will be very, very interesting to see if slash how either of these candidates can move to the middle. Um, because we already mentioned that Abrams has avowedly said that, that she is a progressive. That's who she's been for 44 years. And that's what Brian Kemp has said on the yep. right. Unapologetic conservative, I believe, is the term that he used. And Stacey Abrams uses the term unapologetic progressive. So we, we could have that matchup. We could have a matchup against someone like Casey Cagle, who is who does pivot to the mainstream more. But again, remember, he's not some squishy moderate either, even though Brian Kemp is going to cast him as that. I mean, he, he picked a fight with Decatur over immigration policies. He, back in 2016, chastised Governor Deal for, for, uh, for vetoing the religious liberty bill, and he signed a pledge along with his other uh, rivals to sign that bill if he's elected. He pledged to send Georgia National Guard troops to the Mexican border to combat illegal immigration. Um, he called for $100 million in tax tax cuts, you know, more modest than Hunter Hill's plan to eliminate the, uh, the state income tax. But but so he's he's taken conservative issues on some things, but on others, he hasn't matched his, his rival, let's say, uh, abortion. After Mississippi passed the nation's toughest abortion restrictions, Brian Kemp immediately said he'd outdo them. 
Casey Cagle said, you know, what we've already done is pretty strong. He said he'd signed pro-life legislation that reached his desk, but he also said that uh, Georgia's current uh, uh, restrictions are strong as they are. Yeah. Um, it'll certainly be a challenge to, you know, for, for people in the middle as they decide who they want. A, a lot of the Republican operatives I've been speaking to say they're not worried. They still see Georgia as a center-right state. But I, I think at the end of the day, they will have to start turning toward the middle a little bit as we get closer to Election Day. They will indeed. Maybe. We'll see. Um, well, for more election results and stories, head to AJC.com and PoliticallyGeorgia.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Bluestein and at AJC on Washington. We'll have our regularly scheduled episode up for you on Monday, so be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And thank you, as always, for listening. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.